Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church podcast. This week's message is from our current teaching series, The Called, God at Work Through His People. In this series, we will follow the lives of Elijah and Elisha, ordinary men who were called to stand for the one true God in a pagan and godless society. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. Man, well, welcome to um, uh, what I call uh, Sick and Vacation Sunday. I don't know what it is, but we've got four or five families gone today and uh, on holiday or people are sick or whatever it may be, but uh, that's all right. I'm glad you're here today. And so let's take our Bibles and let's go to 1 Kings chapter number 19, and uh, we're going to be picking up in our sermon series, The Called, God at Work Through His People. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks, and so I haven't preached for two weeks, so I've got two weeks worth of messages ready this morning. So I hope you're ready to go, and I'll do my best to uh, not preach an hour and a half, right? I think that's a good thing. If there's a guest preacher the next week, I should get double the time, right? Yeah, that's when people who are visiting a church, they laugh, and then people who are members are like, oh man, please no, please no. All right, 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, we're back in our study of the lives of Elijah, and today we're transitioning into the study of the life of Elisha as well. And so I love reading Old Testament characters and and how God speaks to them and just finding little things that the Lord can use in our lives. And today, I believe, uh, is an important message for us. It may be something for some of you that you've heard before. In fact, I actually preached on this exact passage a year ago. Uh, In two weeks, it would be exactly a year ago, I preached this exact same passage, but it's a totally different message, just so you know. I I didn't even look at it. Well, I did look at it to make sure I was wasn't preaching the same thing, uh, but I didn't pull from it at all. Uh, totally different message from the same area. There are some thoughts, of course, you might recognize. Uh, not that, I mean, how many of you remember my message from a year ago? That's what I thought. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> You're like, it was on First Kings. Yes, we know it was on First Kings. Place of brokenness and reliance upon himself. We saw uh, how Elijah was uh, uh, really encouraged by God to have a commitment to him above anything else and how important it is for us as Christians today to fully rely on God for everything. And then we saw the story of Mount Carmel and how God did such an amazing thing that day up on that mountain and fire came from heaven. And I mean, just all, it was just a, I love preaching that passage and how we were challenged. Remember the big challenge from that, uh, oftentimes we remember the stories, right? We remember the fire, we remember all of that, but we got to remember the question that was asked to the people of Israel that day, choose you this day who you're going to serve. If God be God, then serve him. If Baal be Baal, then serve him. And for us, that question still remains. You're going to serve God or are you going to serve false idols? You're going to serve people uh, uh, serve people or serve things. It needs to be all about God. And so we saw that with the life of Elijah. And then the last time we were in our sermon series, we saw how Elijah went from that incredible moment on Mount Carmel with fire from God, all of these things happening, to him over here being depressed saying, I just want my life to be taken from me. From a place of total uh, uh, victory to a place of total depression and discouragement, and how God brought him through that, that time and that place. And if you, if, you, if you haven't heard those other messages, you can go back and listen to them. They're on the website. Um, but I believe that uh, the series has been really, really helpful just in getting us focused again, back on God. New year, a lot of things are happening, but getting focused on just making God the Lord of our lives, making him first above all else. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in 1 Kings chapter number 19. So Elijah, remember, came through his time of discouragement. Uh, God had come to him. Uh, God had encouraged him. God reminded him of a few things. He reminded him of the fact that there were, in fact, still 7,000 who had not yet bowed the knee to Baal. Remember that? And he was so discouraged 
which he thought he was the only one. And God says, no, there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed to him. And he encouraged him in that way. And yet, even in the midst of all of the great things that were going on, Elijah, I believe, was kind of having a me moment. He was all about himself. And it's amazing to me how sometimes in the middle of God doing something great or being in a church where God is obviously moving and God is doing things that we can become so self-focused sometimes. Even in the middle of God uh, doing a great work, we become inwardly focused. And thankfully, God doesn't allow us to stay in those inwardly focused times for very long. He always comes to us and encourages us and brings us out of those things. And he steps in here and he reminds Elijah about his presence and he reminds Elijah about his calling on his life. It's so important that we remember the calling that God has given to us, that we never forget that, that we always remember that even if we don't have a big calling of, uh, I say a big calling, you understand what I mean, but a calling to ministry or something like that, every single one of us have a call to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us have calls, have a call from God to live a distinct and separated life from the world so that we can shine as lights in darkness, that we're to bring salt and flavor to this world. There's so many different areas of calling that are general to all Christians, and we need to be always mindful of the call that God has given to us. And so Elijah here is getting back to his calling. He finds his strength in the Lord. And so now he kind of gets up from his time of depression, his time of discouragement, and he's like, off I go. And he takes off on a journey. We don't know where he's going. We just know he gets up and he goes. Sometimes, by the way, that's how it is following God. You know where you're going. You just, you know, you're going somewhere, right? And uh, you're just going and you're following him and you're pursuing him. But we've got to remember the situation. So Elijah's up. He's, he's following God now. He's going to start moving. We'll read that in a second. Uh, but there's still a bounty on his head. Remember, remember Jezebel? She's still around. <laughs> She's still there. She still, remember, she told him, I will kill you for what he had done to those false priests. And so there's still a bounty on his head. He's still struggling to uh, survive a bit. He's, uh, he would, of course, had some fear over all of these things, but he returns to his calling, and that's where we're going to pick it up today in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 19. It says, so he departed thence. So he got up and he left his place of discouragement and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Now this really is kind of a strange interaction that we see here. Elijah is just up, he's just walking and he happens by this guy named Elisha and, uh, and to me, there's a lot of questions here. Where was Elijah going, right? <laughs> you know, how did he know Elisha was the guy? How, I mean, what, what was happening in this whole situation? And we don't have a lot of details here of this whole situation, but we do see some unique things here about Elisha that I want to bring out. First of all, in this verse, we see a couple of important details. First of all, we see here that Elisha is wealthy. You say, well, how do you know he's wealthy? Well, we know he's wealthy just by the description of his life. He's plowing, and he has 12 yoke of oxen, and he's plowing with the last yoke of oxen. And you say, well, that's not a big deal. Listen, you got to think of oxen like cars, okay? I mean, think of this guy. I mean, he had like 24 cars, okay, basically. In, in today's standard, I mean, an ox was a big deal. And, uh, and the fact that he had 12 different yokes of oxen, so two of them together that were plowing, and the fact that he was at the back plowing with the 12th yoke of oxen tells us that he had servants, he had employees, he had other people that were plowing those first 11 yoke of oxen. So that means he was somebody with means. It's a big, now to us, we're like oxen, I could get 12 oxen tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> I, I, maybe you could, okay, but this was a big deal in that day. And so he had these oxen, he was plowing with them. We know from other uh, portions that he was from an area called Abel Mahola, which means dancing meadow. It was a very fertile area uh, along the Jordan River. So he owned riverfront property. 
I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, that'd be great right now. It's a hot, it's a hot area in our city, right? Down on the Fraser River. And uh, man, riverfront property. I, I've heard some ads. The last untouched riverfront property in Vancouver, you know? And, and uh, you go down there and have waterfront property. So he's got all of this. And it's not even where his house is. It's where he's plowing. So I'm sure his house is probably a lot better off. But he had the best land. He had servants. He had everything that a person could want in those days. So just put yourselves in his shoes. Today, it would be like, I mean, you got a nice house. Maybe your house is paid for. You've got a great company that's bringing you in uh, income. You're not even really having to do a whole lot of labor, but you've got, you know, a dozen employees working for you. And I mean, it, that's, that's what we all kind of uh, dream of, right? That'd be a good life, you know, to have those kind of things and have a business and all of that. And so he has everything that a person could want. I'm sure he was investing. I'm sure he was building his, his crops and all of those things. And to us, he had a great life. He had a great life. But the thing that I want you to see is that even though he had a, a very good life by our standards, God had something even better for him. God had something even greater for his life. And, and I got to tell you, for you today, that same offer is there for you as well. No matter what your stance is in life, no matter what your circumstances are, financial or whatever, God has something better for you. God always desires that his, that his people would be uh, and, and live and make a, a greater impact in this world than we ever could come up with on our own. And so Elisha here, he's out there and he's plowing. He is working and, and it's probably because he was a son and had his parents and all of that, which we'll learn about in a minute. But he's out there and he's living the dream. He's got everything that he could ever want. And then this guy, Elijah, who I'm sure he had heard about, kind of darted out of the woods, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he didn't dart out of the woods, but he was walking by and he takes off his cloak and he throws it over him. Now, I was going to bring a cloak and all that today, but I thought, yeah, I won't worry about it. But you know what I mean? A cloak is, it's, it's, it's his garment. So he takes his, not all his garments, okay, but he takes some of his garments, right, his outer cloak. I know what some of you were thinking. And, uh, and he takes that cloak and he puts it on Elisha. And it's very, very significant what he did. Very significant what he did. Because in, tho in those days, uh, oftentimes your outer garment was a reflection of your occupation. Later on, of course, we know priests and stuff were known by the ephod and all of those things. But to him, uh, he, it would have been known as a symbol of your calling, whatever it was. And we don't understand all of the background behind all of that, but it did carry some meaning. And so when he took that off and he placed it upon Elisha, Elisha knew something was happening. He knew that there was something uh, else for him to do for someone like Elisha, Elijah. And by the way, I think he definitely would have known who Elijah was. And when he put that mantle on him, it became to Elisha a symbol of a calling. It was a symbol of the ministry that he was about to have. And this is, this is really cool, right, to think about this. It's really amazing to imagine this whole thing happening. But you've got to remember something still. Elijah is a wanted man. Elijah is a wanted man. In essence, it's like a bank robber pulling up in the van that he just robbed a bank with Open the door and saying, hop in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going to go fast, but hop in. <laughs> I mean, he's a wanted man. He, he's somebody that uh, people are going after. He, uh, he had to be fed with ravens and widow women, right? I mean, this was not a, this not a luxurious calling that he was called to. And so Elisha, when that calling was placed on him, it meant that he was being called from a comfortable life to a life of poverty, a life of danger, <laughs> a life of unsurety about what was going to happen in his country. Remember, he had something that we all desire today, financial stability, right? He had things going for him. He owned all of these things. And uh, to be honest, 
people in that day, and we would say, man, God's really blessing Elisha, right? God's really blessing him. But yet God had something else for him. And it didn't appear as maybe we would want it to appear. But it came a little bit differently. But I want you to see in verse number 20 how he responded to this calling. It's a big deal. Elijah puts this on him and it means something. Look how he responds. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. So I, I don't know if he couldn't figure out what was going on or if it just took a minute to stop or literally Elijah was running. I don't know. He ran and threw it on him and took off. I don't know what happened, but he had to go after him. And he said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I done? And he's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you ever have that happen, you know? <laughs> you know, maybe somebody gives you a gift, you know, and you go to them and you're like, oh, thank you. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. He says, what have I done to thee? Verse 21, and he returned back from him. This is Elisha now. And he took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. And he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So Elisha goes, he says, I want to kiss my family goodbye. He says, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he goes back, he kills his oxen. He cooks them in their own instruments that they would use to plow the field. He burned the plows, he burned all of that. He cooks them and then he feeds all of those people there. Now, again, we don't really understand the full significance of this. They estimate that one ox could feed a family of five for a year and a half. That's a lot of meat. I mean, these are not like little cows. I mean, these are oxen, right? There's this a lot here. And so imagine if he took those and he slaughtered them. That's a lot of food. If he could feed five people for a year, imagine how many people could feed in one sitting. I mean, that's a lot. This is a big deal. This is not just, you know, this is not just like, oh, hey, I got this extra steak. You want to share it with me? I mean, he, this was, a, this was a huge deal. Think about the effort of killing oxen and butchering it and all of the things that he went through, all of the trouble <coughs> to, uh, to, to do this. And he feeds the people there uh, in the town, I would assume. He probably fed his whole town. But then what we see is he kind of pushes back from the table. He kisses his parents. And then he heads out to become the servant of Elijah the prophet. He goes from being the CEO to the guy who makes the coffee. Just like that. <laughs> now you say, what's happening here? What, what, is, what is going on? Why, why all of this detail about what happened? Here's what's happening with Elisha is he is... He's, he's going all in is what he's doing. He's cutting some ties from his past. He's cutting the ties that would uh, ever cause him to want to go back. When those tough times came in the future, he couldn't sit there and be like, you know, I still probably got a good at least 12, you know, maybe 10 yoke oxen now. I could still go back. I could make a good living. I could go back and, and live in this way and I could do these things. But what he's doing is he's eliminating even the possibility of going back to his old life. Now, what I want to focus on today is his reaction, what he did. When he saw the call of God and he knew what God wanted him to do, he made a very specific decision that I think we can learn from today. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is how do we respond when the will of God is so clear to us in our faces? How do we respond to God when there's a call uh, that is put on our lives, uh, when, when he is so um, just openly revealed to us what he would have us to do, how do we respond in following the will of God? Because I think you guys know, and I've said this many, many times, but God has a will and a plan for your life. Every single one of us here today, God has a very specific will and a plan for your life. He has something unique for us all. 
Some of you are living that plan right now. And, and things are good living in the plan. By the way, that's the best place to be, right? The will of God. We've talked about that many times. And things are good and we're following God. But I also want to ask the question this morning is what if God has something greater for you? You know, sometimes I feel like we, in life, we get into sort of a, you know, a, we know, you know, God called us to our spouse or God called us to our career and, and he's called us to a local church and, and he sort of lined things up and life is going and things are going well and, and, and we feel I'm in the will of God, but sometimes God brings extra things to our lives. You know, Elisha, as he was out there plowing, as he was living his life and making money, it seems like he's a generous guy if he, one of the first things he did was feed other people when he, you know, killed his oxen. He seems like a great guy. I'm sure he was like, man, God is blessing me. Things are going well. But then God brought something else into his life. And at the very beginning, it didn't seem like it was greater than where he was at. But the reality is, is God was doing something unique through all of this. So I want to look at his responses when it comes to following the will of God. Because Elisha's reaction and then his action characterize for us his transition from a good life to something greater that God had for him. I pray, and here's my prayer today for you that I've been praying this week as I've been preparing this message. My prayer is that for all of us, we'll experience a mantle moment. That we'll experience a time where something clear from God is placed upon us and we're faced with a decision, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do when the call of God comes, when the will of God is given to us? Point number one this morning in your notes Following God's will begins with surrender and sacrifice. Now, we're learning from Elisha, Elisha here. And I, I apologize. I may say Elijah when I should say Elisha. And I may say Elijah when I should say, should, see, <laughs> I should say. Uh, so just please forgive me today. I'm asking for grace, okay? And uh, I'll do my best. But we're talking about Elisha here and his response to the will of God. Now, when it comes to following the will of God, it begins with surrender and sacrifice. Elisha here was confronted with this call from God. And he teaches us something very important. And the two words are surrender and sacrifice. You could also write in there service as well. Surrender and sacrifice and service. Let's just go with three words. I didn't put them up there. Let's go with three, all right? And service as well. So Elisha here, what we see at the very beginning is that he completely surrendered his old way of life. That's what took place when he killed those oxen, when he did all of that stuff. He was surrendering his own life. He was saying there's no plan B. Elijah is my master now. I'm going to place myself under his leadership. Uh, I'm going to give up the foundation and the wealth. I'm going to give up all of those things that maybe he'd even blessed other people with. But he gave it all up and he placed himself in a position of sacrifice, a position of service. And in one day, his entire life changed. In one day, one decision, his entire life changed. He went from calling the shots to making Elijah's breakfast. When people asked his parents, hey, where's Elisha? What's he up to? Uh, he's probably like making coffee right now for this guy. You know, he's probably keeping his calendar. He's a little scatterbrained. He's probably keeping his calendar for him. And they're like, what? <laughs> What's going on? But that's what he did is he put himself in a position of surrender and also of sacrifice. By the way, this was his situation for the next 18 years. 18 years, he went from having all of this to being in a position of service for 18 years. The thing we have to remember, though, and what I want you to get is that often when God calls us to something greater, there's always a time of humbling. There's always a time of surrender. There's always a time of service in ways that we never thought possible. Think about Moses, David, <laughs> Elijah, Joseph, Daniel, 
Peter, Paul, I mean, all of those guys that God placed a call in their life, they went through a time of humbling. They went through a time of difficulty, a time of where they were doing even the most menial tasks. Now, I recognize today that when you think about humility and you think about doing menial tasks and serving other people, that is not the desire of our flesh. I totally get that. That is not something that we, you know, desire even for our children. Like, I hope my children, you know, are, are just doing menial things their entire life. We have high aspirations for them and, and all of those kind of things. But you got to remember, in, when it comes to God's economy, serving and being faithful in the little things is what God sees as important. More than any other big thing that's out there, God sees the little things that take place. And as believers who center our lives around Jesus Christ, serving and surrender and sacrifice are things that should be our focus. Now, Jesus talked about this, and he cleared it up for us in Mark chapter number 8, verse number 34. Mark chapter 8, verse number 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him, what's that word there? Deny. Let him deny himself, herself, and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of me, if you're going to come after me, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus, a true follower of Christ, is someone who's willing to surrender the things of this life and willing to serve other people and deny ourselves. Notice Jesus did not say that you must deny money. You notice that? He didn't say you, you, you must take up your cross and you must deny any sin or outside influence from your life. You know, by the way, there's other passages that talk about those. He didn't say you need to, uh, you know, deny lust from your life. He didn't get any specifics at all. All he said is deny yourself. By the way, within yourself is all of those things wrapped up, right? <laughs> Pride and lust and all of those things. And so he says, deny yourself. Here's what I want you to get as a definition. Denying yourself is being willing to say no to everything you want so you can say yes to all that God wants for you. Truly denying yourself is being willing to say no to those things that your flesh desires, for those things that your, uh, uh, some of us have just a, a built-in uh, passion and a built-in desire for growth and for change and for all of those kind of things. And it's being willing to say no to those things in order to say yes to all that God wants for your life. That's what it means. It means to take up your cross. Now, uh, we were shopping l last night with the boys, and I went into the store. The uh, Maximus and uh, Miles uh, are wanting a watch. They want a watch, you know. And but, uh, the kids, I don't know what it is about kids. They break watches like they're going out of style. So every watch we've ever brought them is, ends up in pieces, you know. And, and uh, that's okay. We don't buy expensive watches. Uh, but we were looking at some, uh, you know, Michael Kors. And uh, we were looking at some uh, Nixon watches, some Nixon, very nice Nixon. And so, uh, and Max was like, I don't have enough money for this, you know. And, uh, but we went into this one store and uh, it had some Nixon watches, which Julius, those are great watches. You like those? We got one for Al for his birthday one year. Anyway, uh, they're great watches. They had some nice Nixon watches and they had some other stuff. And, and around the side, I saw this whole case just full of jewelry. But not like any jewelry, like big, chunky jewelry, you know, like you wear on your neck, you know, and, and there, was a, there was a huge cross. I mean, it was, it was bling. That's all I can say. It was really, I was like, could I wear that? You know, I don't know. I wear that on Sunday, just every Sunday, this huge cross, you know, and, and, and it, was, it was super nice. And why do I say that? I say that because, you know, to us today, the cross is a sentimental thing. The cross is sentimental to us. We look at it and we say, oh, yeah, that person must be a Christian. You know, we see little cross earrings or we see something. Like, Man, they must be a Christian. And, and it's a sentimental thing. We kind of connect it to religion. Uh, but the fact is, is the cross to people in Jesus' day was a symbol of torture. 
of death. I mean, today, I don't even know how to liken it today, but it'd be like, you know, it'd be like wearing like a little electric chair around your neck, you know, right? Oh, like, oh, I got, you know, I got this little like necklace and it's got a syringe with like a, a lethal dose, dose of poison in it, you know? It'd be like going to somebody's house and seeing a nice painting, you know, of, of someone in an electric chair. Okay, <laughs> we laugh, right? But that's what it is. That's what it is. It's a symbol of torture. It's a symbol of suffering. It is a symbol of death. What is so self-empowering and motivating about carrying around a symbol of death? What's so empowering about that? But listen, that's the uniqueness of being a true Christian, <laughs> is that we don't just look at it and say, oh, you know, that doesn't really, it means something to us. It means, and it shows us and reminds us what our Savior did for us. The fact that he died to give us new life. And we have new life in Christ because of what happened on the cross. And so, uh, when, it, when we take up our cross, what it means is that we're willing to take up suffering. We're willing to take up even death. We're willing to take up tragedy and, and trials to truly follow him. It means that we're willing to abandon everything else that we hold close. And the call that we see here is to everybody. Jesus had his 12 disciples there, but you see in the verse that we looked at a minute ago, he said it to all the people, everybody that was there. He said, listen, the call is to greater things, to follow me. But to follow God, it means that you're going to go through the valley of giving up some things that you want. Giving up some things that you hold dear. Sometimes I think to myself, I was telling Jeanette this this morning. I think we don't understand. We don't fully grasp today as modern day Christians how blessed we are. How in, in Christ's day when someone converted and someone became a believer in Jesus Christ, it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. It, it meant losing friends. It meant everything. And, and, and many of them gave their lives for Christ. And we just don't fully understand the, the importance of what it means to be a believer and how God has called us to go along with him and that the Christian life is not your best life now. It really isn't. The Christian life is not your best life now. By the way, the best life is going to be in heaven with Christ, okay? And that's what we look forward to. But to expect that there's some ethereal, like, wonderful, bubble, perfect life that's going to happen here on earth is just unrealistic because as Christians, we're to take up the cross and follow him. It, it is suffering. It's difficulty. I had a friend just get back from Israel this week, and, and uh, a pastor friend of mine, and we, we talked for like 15 minutes, and he was just like, like telling me all these things, you know, about Israel. I've never been, and so I was just eating it up. You know, he's telling me all these things and how it changes everything, and, and he was talking about how in Israel they have all of these uh, places of, of, uh, of ceremonial washing before worship, and so that was one of the things they had to do is before they go to worship is they had to go, and they had to find a place, and they had to wash the ceremonial washing before they could go in and worship God. And how one of the things that happened uh, in, in, uh, in that day is when false teachers would come in or false leaders even would come in, one of the first things they would do is they would begin to put places of worship all around Israel. And what they were doing is they were making it convenient for people to go to these places of worship. Of course, we know there was false teaching that was going on in there as well. But the point that was made is that whenever that happened and whenever God finally got back in control, they tore all those things down because worship to the people of Israel was not a convenient thing. It was something that took focus. There was the, the, the ceremonial washing. There was the actual going to the temple to worship God. And today, we've made it so convenient, haven't we? It's all, and I'm all about convenience, but that's what we desire. We're like, well, if it doesn't fit my time schedule, and if it doesn't, you know, if I have to change anything at all in my life, then I'm not going to go. And we make things so convenient. You know what I'm saying? When worship is, is, is sacrifice, worship is coming to God. 
I was telling Jeanette this morning uh, that, man, sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder what it's going to be like in heaven, you know, as we go up to the Apostle Paul and we shake his hand. Hey, Apostle Paul, like, what are we going to say to those guys, right? Like, I tithe. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. He's like, he's like, I gave my life, (laughs) you know. I went to church on Sunday morning. Yeah, you know, I served in the nursery. And he's like, well, I was in prison too. I get it, I get it. No, I get it, you know? But, but, think, but really, think about it. Think about it for a minute. Man, think, we, to stand there, like what, what if we, what if we where, where is the cross? Where's the cross? Where's the suffering? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the service? And so often we just want it so convenient. We want everything just to, to fit together we want our best life now, and God, would you give it to me right now? God, make everything perfect in my life. But the best life is with him. And that's what we need to look forward to. That's what we need to live for. It's our best life with Jesus Christ. And so when this time comes for us to serve him, and when his will is given to us, we just need to put it all aside and just go after him. And just pursue him, surrender to him. Be willing to serve others rather than pursuing our own desires. Ask ourselves the question, am I truly following Jesus or am I using him to fulfill my self-centered life? That's a hard question. That's a hard question to ask ourselves. But am I just using him as a tool to, you know, make everything work out? Listen, am I truly serving after him? James 1.27 says, pure religion and undefiled. He uses the words pure, undefiled before God uh, and the father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, to keep himself unspotted from the world. That, th- those are some heavy things there. <laughs> to be serving other people who, ha- who don't have as much as us, who have struggle, who have been through tragedy and suffering. To minister to, to others and then to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That's the purity of our faith. Is that there's, there's by the way, it's, it's, uh, it takes sacrifice to remain unspotted from the world, doesn't it? It does. It takes, it takes sacrifice to put some things away. But Christianity is one of sacrifice, surrender, and serving others to separate ourselves in order to fulfill the calling of our Savior. And Elisha here, his response to me characterizes his willingness to surrender and his willingness to serve and his willingness to sacrifice by, by, by killing those oxen and burning them up and feeding other people and walking away from it all. It tells us so much about his character. So when it comes to following God's will, it begins with surrender and it begins with sacrifice But secondly, this morning, following God's will is realized through bold faith. It is realized through bold faith. Look at verse number 21 again. It says, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh, and uh, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. He, He did all of those things, but then he still had to get up, and he had to chase after Elijah. So he did all those things, and I don't know if he was like, all right, he's like, it's done. You know, now what? Oh, wait, I got to go catch Elijah. And so he gets up and he goes after him. In other words, he went after God's will for his life. He pursued it. He pursued the calling that had been given. He didn't have all the details in place. All he knew is that he's supposed to serve with Elijah. And so he went after him. My prayer for us as a church is that we would be a people who when God shows us his will, we get up and we go after his will. We don't just sit and wait for everything to fall into place. But if God leads us in a direction, we say, all right, this is clearly what God has showed us. We have affirmation. We have counsel that has been given to us. We know this is God's will. Let's roll with it and let's go for it. Let's be people who go after the will of God. Don't sit around for more information, for all the money and all this stuff to come into place, but take bold steps of faith. All throughout history, 
We see example after example after example of God doing amazing things in people's lives, but it always comes back to a moment of decision, a step of bold faith that then realized God's call and God's will for them. I wrote just a few things down. Abraham leaving his home, the Ur of the Chaldees, he's called to go. He didn't know what was, it, what was there for him. He didn't know what was going, going on. God said, I want you to get up and go. I'll make a nation of you. And he said, all right, I don't know how it's happening, but I'm going to go. And he went up and he went. Moses, going back to Egypt, had to take that step of faith before God could use him. David, fighting Goliath, he had to decide, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and I'm going to fight this guy. The disciples leaving their occupations to follow, follow Christ. In more modern day history, I was thinking George Mueller, starting an orphanage. He said, I'm going to do it. He saw a need. He knew this was what God called him to do. I'm going to do it. There's a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an amazing story, but he was someone who was a Christian leader who stood up against Nazi Germany and their desire to basically implode all religion uh, during their regime. I was thinking about my dad and 36 years ago coming here to Vancouver and starting his church and taking that step of faith with our family and getting an old school bus and taking all the seats out and driving across the country and how so many churches have been planted all around the lower mainland out of that church. But it took a step of faith. And I don't mean to get emotional, I'm sorry. He's my dad, I can be emotional, right? Man, it took a step of faith. And how we've all seen uh, and benefited from that. I think about our missionaries, the Littles, who are in St. Lucia and how they left ministries that, that God was using them in. And they gave it all up and they moved to St. Lucia, which we've now been to. And we know the trials and we know the struggles that they're going to have. But they follow God by faith. And I believe God's going to do something amazing. He's already done something with them. And to see him work, I think of the, the Bowie family that we support in Indonesia. They just got there. But man, it took a step of faith for young people just married to go on the road and, and try to follow God to the mission field. There's so many different stories that we go through throughout history where people stepped out in faith and followed God. And in all of these stories, and probably in many that you could relate about your own life and people that you know, in every instance, what we see in order to pursue the calling, it took a step of faith that they had to step out and just go after God. They had to follow him. God rewards people of action today. God rewards people of action, people who pursue him and his will for their lives. I want you to turn over with me now to 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to go to the second part here, 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to fast forward now 18 years. We're going to fast forward 18 years. Second Kings chapter 2, and I'm, there's, there's some cool stuff that happens in the beginning, beginning part of the chapter. I'd encourage you to read it on your own later on, okay? But in verse number 8, I'm going to start reading. So 18 years later, and Elijah took his mantle, remember that? And he wrapped it together, and he smote the waters, that's of the Jordan River. And they were divided hither and thither, that means both sides, all right? <laughs> So that they too went over on dry ground. So Elijah and Elisha walked over on dry ground on the river. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he, Elijah said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. 
and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them into two pieces. He tore his own clothes. Verse 13. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he looked right and he looked left to see if anyone was watching. (laughs) Verse 14. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. Elisha went over. Man, what a crazy story. I love this. I love this. This transition here that took place. Elisha, he's got his cloak. He strikes it and it goes up, it clears, and he walks across. And here's what's happening here. Here's what I want you to see. And there's so many things we could get into. But Elisha here, we see in this verse number 14, he experienced what he desired from the Lord. Right? Did you see that in there? He asked, I want a double portion of the blessing that Elijah had. And then at the end, there's a test right away. He saw him go up. There's a test. And he experienced what he desired. In fact, it's really interesting. By way of numbers of miracles, Elijah, there are 14 recorded miracles of Elijah. There are 28 recorded miracles of Elisha. Interesting. To the number. It's like our God to do that, right? To record that exactly for us. Exactly the double, the amount of what took place. And so he received that double anointing. He received what he asked of God, I believe, because he didn't hold anything back from God. And because he didn't hold anything back from God, and because he took that step of faith, he then experienced the blessings of God because of his action of faith. The truth is, is that for many of you today, and I'm not trying to be a prophet or anything in your life, but I do know this from experience and from years and years of ministry, is that many of you are missing out on God's reward simply because you struggle with following him by faith. You struggle with following God completely by faith. Things that may be going well, you're raising a family, you're making money, all of those things, but when it comes to our Christianity, are you making anything, any difference for eternity? Which is what we're called to do as believers, aren't we? We're to make an eternal difference. That is the difference, and God does not want us to be content with just plowing with our oxen, (laughs) with just living a good and decent life. Because what is going to happen is that if you're content with living a good life and just uh, having, uh, doing uh, uh, basic uh, aspects of life, the fact is, is that you may be missing out on some miracles that God wants to do for you and through you. You say, well, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a, I, I can't just, I'm not saying that God's saying to you to get up and leave and go somewhere. But I'm saying, are you truly surrendered? Because surrendered people, God uses in a unique way. And it, it's not about going to a mission field. And it's not about planning a church. It's about being surrendered and seeing God do. I've seen God do miracles in people my entire life. My entire life. And I really do believe that in the vast majority of them, it was because they were totally surrendered to God. They accepted what God had asked them to do. You know, often I've used the story of the rich young ruler, you know, who's unwilling to follow Christ. Remember that? And, uh, and then one day he became a rich old ruler, right? <laughs> and, I've, and I've asked the question before. You know, I wonder if on his deathbed in his last days, if he asked himself the question, I wonder what would happen if I had just accepted and followed Christ. How different would my life have been if I had accepted Christ? Listen, I don't want to come to the end of my life and have my family all around me and a comfortable living 
and a nice home and, 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 and just a, a great, great life, great testimony. I don't want to come to the end of my life and still be asking the question, I wonder if I'd surrendered all to Christ. I wonder if I just surrendered all. I wonder if I just followed him with my entire life. Well, I, wonder, I wonder what it would have been like if I had been willing to not focus so much on the earthly things and focus more on eternal things. I don't want to live my life in that way. I want to get to the end of my life and say, I know I pursued Christ with everything. And the hard times were of him and the good times were of him. And I've seen some miracles along the way. Seen some miracles along the way because of stepping out by faith. Don't allow that to be your testimony of life. Don't be afraid to step out by faith. Listen, God may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense at all. Okay? Man, to Elisha and his family, this seemed nuts. <laughs> but yet he did it. And God did something incredible with his life because he was, it was realized through his bold faith. Now, lastly this morning, and I promise I'm almost done, following God's will is confirmed in heavenly vision. Following God's will is confirmed in heavenly vision. Look again at verse number 11 and 12. And it came to pass as they went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire. Dun, 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 right? And horses of fire. And parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw it no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces, which was a symbol of, 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 of sorrow, of fear. So, so what's going on here? I mean, to me, I'm like, if I saw Elijah being taken up by a fiery chariot of horses, I would have been like, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, <laughs> did you see that? You know, I, I mean, it's amazing, right? But instead, he cries out. He tears his clothes in sorrow. And, and what's, what's happening here? here? Here's what I want you to see. This is a terrifying sight. Th this is how we view it, right? In the Sunday school material images, right? You know? And we're like, oh, sick. Look at those horses, you know? And uh, look at them, man. And there's the mantle flying down from heaven, you know? And we, we have this whole, like, idea. And it was, looks so cool. It's like a, <laughs> I was just, I don't know, it's like a Hunger Games kind of thing, you know, like it's all like, wow, nice and clouds, and I don't know, I don't know if that's Hunger Games or not, but you know what I mean, that, that kind of like, what's the word I'm looking for, you know what I'm talking about, but, but this is a tornado of fire, okay, a whirlwind of fire, the horses of fire, and here's the thing, fire, and these horses of fire, and this chariot of fire represented to Elisha God's judgment, that's why he was afraid, that's why he cried out. That's why he tore his clothes, because he thought that the judgment of God was coming upon him. He thought that God's judgment was coming upon Israel. All throughout Scripture, whenever you see a reference to like, the holiness of God revealed in this way, or this aspect, people died. <laughs> Remember when, the, when, when uh, God came down to uh, Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments? They had to set up a barrier all around the mountain, because if they crossed over to it, they would, they would die from just being in the presence of, of, of a holy God like that. Anyone who came near that line would be, could be killed by the glory. And so Elisha, as he saw this, he was like, oh, man, I'm dead, is what he was saying. I'm dead. And he tore his clothes in repentance and in sorrow. And uh, I'm sure he was thinking, maybe this is a last-ditch attempt to save my life. You know, I'm going to tear, I'm going I'm to repent before God. But here's what, thing, here's what happened. He was spared from it. He was spared from how he saw, what he understood as the uh, judgment of God. Don't you think this would have been a formative moment in his life? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a formative moment, right? Don't you think this would have been something that he would have looked back onto for his entire life as motivation? And here's what, I, here's what I want you to see. To Elisha, he's looking back at this situation as he saw the judgment of God. He thought it was over for him, but yet he came through it. 
and he saw Elijah being carried up to heaven on this chariot of fire, you know, and he lived through it. And I believe that experience motivated him for the rest of his ministry. So here's what I want us to, here's the connection for us. Listen, today we have not seen a whirlwind of fire, right? But all of us, if you're saved today, you've been confronted with the, the, the challenge of your own sins, right? You've been confronted with the judgment of God. You've been confronted with the reality of hell. And if you're a Christian today, you've been confronted with that, you've known that, but then as well, you've also experienced the grace of God as he rescued you from that, right? And you've, you've come through that time of, uh, uh, of recognizing and understanding the judgment of God that is upon you, but then you've also received of him the grace of God. And what I'm trying to say today is that when we, when we know this, it is that incredible truth of salvation through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross that can sustain us for our entire lives. It's the thing that we look back on to motivate us. It's the thing that we look back on to give us strength uh, in times of difficulty that we've been rescued, that we've been saved from that. I love it. The fact, uh, Elisha, his name means God saves. God is salvation. Remember, Elijah is God. He is the Lord. And Elisha comes along and God, he saves. God is the savior. And while he looked at that moment of judgment and it brought fear to his life, he still came through it. He was spared of God. And for us, we've been uh, spared from the penalty of our sins. And that's something that we can look back on that can motivate us. That is the the heavenly vision. That is the understanding that we have from Scripture. See, my goal for the message today is very simple, that we would fully surrender to the will of God in our lives and that we would boldly pursue His will regardless of what the sacrifice would be or whatever surrender is necessary. That we would not be content with a good life, but we would be passionate about pursuing something greater pursuing his will that only God can achieve through you the question for us is are you ready to surrender today now I realize I didn't get very specific by the way you shouldn't need me to get really specific when it comes to the will of God because the Holy Spirit is within you and the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us in ways that we can't even understand it. Sometimes God puts something on your heart. Sometimes God uses someone else to speak to you. Sometimes God just puts a passion, something in your heart and your mind that you can't just shake anymore. And listen, it's the spirit of God working in you. So the question is, is will you surrender to that? The thing, I, I'll tell you what, there was all through my high school years, there was something in the back of my mind that I couldn't get rid of that uh, God was like, you are to serve me in ministry. And I was like, no, <laughs> no way. For years, probably from the time I was 12 or 13. And I just, no, 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 no. And then when I was 18, it was so clear to me. It, I couldn't get rid of it no matter what I tried to do, no matter what my other focuses were. And finally I said, all right, Lord, I'll surrender to that. And then my life just drastically changed, completely changed. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that, that God called me. I'm so thankful for that calling. My point is, is that sometimes things stay with you for a while. And for some of you, you may know what it is already. Something you've resisted your whole life. You've resisted for years. I'm just asking you today, would you, would you respond like Elisha? And would you recognize that it takes surrender, it takes sacrifice, it takes service. But it's also going to be only realized through a bold action of faith. A bold action of faith. You say, I'm not that bold. <laughs> I'm a chill person, you know. He's not going to let you do it alone right? Any step of faith that we take 
God's with us the whole way through. And that's God's desire for us. And that's the response I want us to see here in Elijah. Whatever God is telling you to do, whatever way he leads you, whether now or in the future, would you respond like Elisha and just obey God? We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.